Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And we want to welcome aboard our brand new sponsor, Any Lab Test Now. I'll tell you more about them in just a few minutes. Really excited to have them aboard. And if you were too busy on a Monday to notice, we spoke to the man behind AstrosFuture.com, Jimmy Price, about Phenom Forrest Whitley and some other Astros prospects, which could affect this year's team. You'll want to go back and listen if you haven't already. Joining me today, of course, is the James Harden to my Russell Westbrook. I mean, my co-host, Stephen Kerr. Or Stephen, would you rather be Westbrook or Harden? I mean, which one do you want to be? (laughs) Uh, I'd rather be Hakeem Olajuwon because, you know, everybody just looks up to him. And, uh, you know, he's got two championships. So, uh, yeah, I I think... I don't know. That'd be a toss-up between those two. <laughs> give him a, give us a championship, and maybe we can discuss it later. And uh, I, I don't know. My thumb isn't that sore, really. I'm trying to just kind of throw the ball over to you and 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 kind of back up out of the way like James is. So that, that's <laughs> well. If you're going to throw the ball to me, that's probably the smartest thing to do is back up because you never know where it's going to go if I put it up. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, since the Rockets traded for Robert Covington, uh, they've been beating the Lakers by 10, the Celtics by 11, and the Jazz by 10. Covington averaging four blocks per game in his last four games, or nearly four blocks per game. You starting to believe in the pocket Rockets, Stephen? Could, could this team win a championship? Well, I, I don't know if they can win a championship. I'm not quite sold on that yet, but I will say, Robert, you know, this, this is what can happen when the Rockets start putting it all together and they start shooting better. And in those wins you just talked about, you know, and the thing is, when the Rockets are making their threes, they're almost unstoppable. Uh, But when they're not, that's when they run into problems. But I have to say that, you know, now they've won, what, four in a row now, and and they've they've won eight of their last ten. You know, they're they're starting to do what they need to do at this point in the season if they're going to be in the upper echelon of the NBA Western Conference and, and making the playoffs, getting a good seed. Maybe some home court advantage somewhere in there. You know, I thought the the win against Utah was big just because it, it gave the Rockets the tiebreaker. It, it was a very purpose-driven win. And, yeah, they have been winning by double digits now. They're beating the teams they're supposed to beat. I, you know, the, the defense still needs to get a little more consistent from start to finish. But I'm at least liking what I'm seeing a lot better. And, and Covington is doing what Daryl Morey traded him to do or traded him for to do. So I have to say my my prospects about the Rockets probably brighter than the last time we talked, which was uh, before the All-Star break. It's interesting because this is the last time you and I spoke. Uh, the Rockets picked up veteran wings, Damari Carroll and Jeff Green, and I don't believe either guy makes you go, oh, wow, what a huge deal. But I will say this. It's about time Daryl Morey loaded up a roster with athletic wings and not just defensive liabilities like Joe Johnson and Gerald Green or nine shooters like Corey Brewer and Josh Smith. You know, this roster now has more real depth, Stephen, on the back end than any recent roster. They're legitimately 11 deep hordes of three and D guys. The 11 doesn't even count Tyson Chandler, by the way. And, and, and how about this stat, Stephen? I'll throw this one at you because I think this was sort of gone under the radar. Between Ben McLemore, Robert Covington, and Daniel House, you've got a combined seven playoff games worth of experience. But between Damari Carroll, Jeff Green, and Tabo Cephalosha, there are 218 playoff games. Wow. 
That's pretty impressive. And, uh, you know, the, the depth is great. Now, the question becomes, especially once you do get into the postseason, how much of that depth is Mike D'Antoni going to dip into? Because as we know, he tends to get in the shorter rotations when the playoffs get here. But at the very least, it, it provides you the depth that, that you can perhaps rotate these minutes a little better for the rest of the regular season. And, and getting back to Ben McLemore, you know, there's another guy whose shooting has gotten a lot better lately. I know uh, earlier in the season, I think his his shooting average was like 40%. And uh, as of now, the, the last stat I saw was like 51%. I'm talking about overall shooting, not three-point shooting. But but even his three-point shooting has improved. So, you know, Ben McLemore is starting to feel more comfortable, I think, w- with each game he plays for the Rockets. I can't say enough about how great he's been. I mean, he's just hair-quick trigger, which is the kind of guy that you need when James Harden throws you the ball at the last second goes, hey, quick, I, I need to do something because I don't have anything here. And he gets it off like in a millisecond and he's barely missing the threes right now. But just going back to that depth that we're talking about and, and yes, D'Antoni's bench shrinks. But remember, you know, last year, Daniel House stinks. So Granted. what do you what Granted. do you do? You got yeah. nobody to go to at that point because their bench is so shallow that you had the remember the year that they 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 almost win the whole thing, but Luke Babamute gets hurt for that playoffs, right. and and now you're down to a six or seven man bench most of that time. Well, that is a good point, and of course we know Chris Paul was hurt too, so that that didn't help. Um, but yeah, if if you've got the weapons, you've got to use them as long as they're effective. And at least as of now, they're, they're being effective. And uh, I, I just, I, I feel like the, the chemistry is, is kind of coming together a little bit more, a little bit quicker, I should say, with some of the changes that have been made. I mean, I thought it might take a little more time, but boy, Covington, he just almost immediately inserted himself in. And I think he even said uh, in an article I read about him that really it's the, the style of play that the Rockets have is something he's already been comfortable with it. He doesn't have to think too much. A lot of the plays that are drawn up, it's just something that comes naturally to him. So that that's a pretty that's a key contribution as well. I'm being told uh, this just in while, while you were speaking, Eric Gordon just got hurt and got healthy again and got hurt and got healthy again. <laughs> yeah, how many times have we talked about? You know, when Eric Gordon is healthy, you need him to come through. But the the problem is you don't know when he's going to stay healthy and. And even when he's gotten back, this just hasn't been a good season for Eric, especially after signing that big contract. You were hoping for a lot more from him. So, yeah, he's he's still kind of the one, the, the, the big question mark sitting beside him. You didn't see any of the uh, Kobe Bryant memorial service Monday, did you? I'll be honest. I did not. I, I just I thought about watching it. I mean, I read some of the things and then saw a couple of clips here and there, but I, I did not. And And, you know, one of the things about the Rockets win against the Knicks that, that I thought was impressive is you, you had Harden and Westbrook and PJ Tucker, you know, attending the ceremony and then coming back and playing that same day. You know, that's that's quite a toll to take, not just from the travel aspect, but obviously the, the emotional toll it has taken on the players, you know, going to a service like that. So that win was impressive in that regard. But no, I, I did not watch the service. I, I just... I don't know. I, 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 it's just not something that I really wanted to, to get into. Yeah, maybe Westbrook uh, hurt his wrist flapping his arms on his way back to Houston or something. I guess he was he was flying himself or something like that. That's why he didn't play. Yeah, I didn't watch a ton of the, the service. 
Uh, but I got to mention Michael Jordan because uh, yeah. I, I, I got a chance to look at that uh, on on Twitter and somebody had replayed the, the entire thing and it's up on YouTube and you can see it. But that was about, Stephen, it was about as emotional and real and even as funny as we've seen Michael Jordan in the last 20 years or maybe ever. <laughs> well, you know, that's what I think. I mean, we, we tend to, Michael Jordan certainly one of the greatest players of all time, but his personality, he's a rather complex guy. So for him to be as real as he was, as emotional as he was, uh, yeah, that, that I think is, if, if there's one thing that probably surprised me most about that service, it was probably Michael Jordan and just how great that speech was and, and how real it was. And of course, uh, the composure that uh, Vanessa showed you know, that that was quite I mean, I guess, you know, people tend to deep down, dig down into the reservoir of strength when they need to. You know, some people don't want to get too broken up emotionally in public. I don't know if that's what drove Vanessa, but but her composure was was quite fascinating and, and inspiring to see, too. Yeah, I just I can't even think outside of Jordan reading a script in a in a Nike commercial of him being funny and and kind of self-deprecating and he made fun of you know as he was crying trying to get through his speech he made fun of the fact that it's going to be the next jordan meme which was really great and i just thought that was you know it was very aware of him and sort of self-deprecating of of jordan which you don't you don't typically see from michael but you know go back to steven you probably saw his hall of fame speech and it was this was a guy that was just he just came out angry and pissed the whole time <laughs> so that was all his speech was well that's right and that's why i'm saying it it's just kind of unjordanesque you know to see him joking and crying and poking fun at himself you almost thought wait is this is this a michael jordan double that forgot to to study his personality or something but no it's very inspiring it's just that yeah, that, that speech is, is going to be another one, I think, that, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, people are still going to refer to it, you know, kind of like the, the Jim Valvano speech. I've I've seen that several times, you know, that it took place uh, back in the early 90s, I think, when he was sick. It, it's just one of those speeches that you're never going to forget, that you're still going to be talking about years later. Absolutely. Uh, th that just, it was a shocking, really, speech to me, and it was just really fun to watch. And we got so much more to talk about in this show, but before we go uh, on with the show, I want to talk about any lab test now, which I've actually visited before and really found super easy and convenient. So you're thinking, what is this? What do they do? Well, any lab test now provides direct access lab testing that makes it easier for individuals to maintain a healthy lifestyle. Now, what does direct access mean? Direct access means you can just walk into any of their 15 Houston area locations, select which lab test you want completed, and you're in and out as little as 15 minutes. They can provide the doctor's order or accept your physician's order if you're uninsured or have high deductible insurance and are trying to manage your healthcare budget. Take advantage of the many lab tests now options uh, that they've got. And, and, and HSA and FSA cards are accepted. Most results, most results are ready in one to three business days. They can be directly uh, sent to your email, giving you the information you need to take control of your health. Check out their website, www.anylabtestnow.com. That's anylabtestnow.com. And like I said, I've visited them, Any Lab Test Now. It's quick. 
it's convenient. I mean, it's in this day of you guys have gone through medical tests, I'm sure many of you have recently, and, and it's, it's not always fun, but it's, it was a great experience for me. So go, go check them out. It's a brand of pro football never before seen in the Astrodome. Fast-paced, wide open, run-and-shoot football as only your Houston Gamblers can play it. Don't wait another minute. Get your tickets for the Gamblers' next home game at all Ticketron and Ticketmaster outlets, the Astrodome box office, and the Gamblers' office. Call 664-USFL for all ticket information. 664-USFL. Call now and let the Houston Gamblers put the thrill, excitement, and fun back in your football. Oh, yeah, you got to love that. If you were a little confused, that's an old school Houston Gamblers promo you just heard, which was the last alternate pro football team that got this city pumped up. And Steven, are you all in for the only undefeated team left in the XFL? You all in? (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take it. I I guess, you know, if, if it keeps going this way, maybe Houston will get their pro football most valuable player it just won't be Deshaun Watson. It'll be P.J. Walker. But no, I mean, it's exciting. You know, any team in Houston that wins, because we've had such a small sample. Yeah, the Rockets, they've had two championships since the Gamblers were here. The Astros had that World Series that I guess is tainted for a lot of people now. So, you know, hey, they're 3-0. and They're doing well. P.J. Walker, he, he looks like Deshaun Watson on somebody. I mean, that 84-yard touchdown to Cam Phillips. My goodness. I mean, the guy seems to just make some kind of a, a crazy play each week. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not comparing him to Deshaun in, in a real sense. I'm just saying that this is kind of some of the, the things that we would see from Deshaun Watson. But we're seeing it in the XFL, and we're seeing it with P.J. Walker, and it's in Houston. So I will take it. We need more P.J.'s in Houston. That's what I've, I've learned, right? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't wear PJs, but yeah, no, I'm teasing. Yeah, more PJ Walkers. Maybe we need to. Maybe the Texans need to sign him to uh, back up Deshaun. And <laughs> I think you actually alluded to that in a previous podcast. But no, it's you know, I, I try not to get too emotionally charged into this thing. I asked my son the other day because he's a big football fan. I says, "Have you watched any of the XFL?" He goes, "No." He says, "I just don't. I, I just don't want to get all." hyped up, and then the league goes out of business a year or two from now. Yeah, you got your P.J. Tucker, you got your P.J. Walker. If we can just get a maybe a P.J. over on the Rockets and, I mean, over on the Astros and some of the other teams. But, you know, all the conversation about Walker, uh, best QB in the XFL, like you said, MVP uh, right now. If the, if the season ended today in the XFL, um, he leads the league in yards, but – could we be overlooking his main target, Cam Phillips, who has 324 of PJ's 748 total yards? And on Saturday, 194 yards, three touchdowns against Tampa, seven touchdowns on this season. He's six foot, 201 pounds, had over 3,000 yards in receiving when he finished at Virginia Tech back in 2017. And I looked up, you know, what happened coming out of college and noticed he had a sports hernia surgery. Uh, at the time, so he didn't participate in the NFL combine. Bad pro day, which might have been affected by the surgery. But, Stephen, you know who could use a reliable fourth wide receiver? Yeah, uh, I sure do. And uh, he's definitely been more than reliable. I mean, would you say that Cam Phillips is to the Roughnecks what DeAndre Hopkins is to the Texans? I mean, without him, think of what the offense would be. You know, you have Sammy Coates, that we we talked about before, who's – had quite a few targets early on and was dropping so many passes. 
But Cam Phillips is the go-to guy for P.J. Walker, and, man, he he has looked incredible on some of those touchdown passes just as much as P.J. Walker has. You know, he had a cup of coffee with the Bills. He was on the Colts practice squad, but there are two things Cam Phillips would have to prove to Bill O'Brien, and, and this is big because he did not do either of these in college. He needs to show he can play the slot position, because of that versatility that they need between uh, the, the two p- different wide receiving positions with the Texans. And he's got to show he can help in special teams. Phillips hasn't returned either punts or kicks. So if I'm him, maybe I'd ask June Jones, give me a shot for a couple of weeks. Because I, th- that's what I feel like Bill O'Brien's going to be looking for. Because you know who is a little bit, he's got a little bit of trouble in the slot position. You know who for the Texans is. He didn't have a good season. He was in Bill O'Brien's doghouse in a big way. Yeah, he certainly was. And yeah, that's really what the the, the Texans, the the slot receiver position is one that we've talked about ad nauseum that, you know, we keep putting this guy in and this guy in and that guy. and, And nobody has stepped up in that position. So yeah, I don't know that you could see Cam Phillips in a Texans uniform. But, you know, the great thing about the XFL and and even with leagues like the Alliance of American Football, the AAF, which, you know, w- was such a disaster, it, it gives players who didn't get a shot, maybe another shot at the NFL. There's going to be a handful of them that are going to go there every year that the league exists. And, you know, Cam Phillips, P.J. Walker, who's to say when the season's over, if they continue to play like they do, that next year they might get a shot, maybe not with the Texans, but with some NFL team. You got to look over your shoulder, Kiki Cutie. I'm telling you, this is going to be a, a an offseason where I, I have to imagine Bill O'Brien's going to want to replace him potentially. And, you know, this this weekend, it's uh, Houston versus Dallas, Roughnecks versus Renegades. Uh, we love the rivalry, Houston-Dallas rivalry. Sunday, 3 p.m., doesn't get bigger than this in the XFL West. <laughs> hey, how about that? Houston and Dallas having a team. I mean, that in itself, you know, when I first found that out, I go, oh, boy. Well, that just adds yet another chapter to the Houston-Dallas rivalry. And, you know, the Bob Stoops coaching Dallas, that's pretty cool, too. Uh, June, yeah, I, I thought the, the interesting thing with the uh, Texans in Tampa Bay is you had June Jones, of course, the head coach. Uh, did I say the Texans? I meant the Roughnecks. Roughnecks in Tampa Bay. You, you've got June Jones with the Roughnecks. Jerry Glanville on the other side, the defense for uh, Tampa Bay. So there was a little reunion there. It is weird to see Glanville still coaching. It was 30-plus years ago when he started with the Oilers. I think it was maybe 1986 or something. Yeah, it was in the, uh, upper, it was in the late 80s. Yeah, it was like 86, 87. And, boy, he seems old to me, Jerry Glanville does. Yeah, they, really they, they, they've, they've grabbed some guys uh, at the back end uh, for sure. <laughs> their coaching careers in the X, but their names, you recognize them. Yeah, those of us, of course, you know, grew up with the Oilers and, uh, you know, in some cases with the Gamblers and other play. We, we know some of those names. You're right. Yeah, you just heard the Gamblers promo. June Jones was with the Gamblers. Uh, June Jones and Jerry Glanville were with each other on the same style. Like Jerry hired June. They said Jerry hired June Jones with the Oilers, and then June Jones would later hire Jerry when he was uh, at Hawaii. Yeah, that's right. And it's kind of interesting. They hired each other. I actually had that happen when I was in radio. Uh, well, it wasn't that I was hired, but I, I had a boss. I was already there when he took over. And then some years later, when he left, I hired him back to work for me. So, yeah, I, I kind of had a, a June Jones, Jerry Glanville moment there. 
I want to briefly touch on something from the Houston Cougars game against Memphis on Saturday because I, I wasn't thrilled with how this game ended. Now, they're still hanging in the top 25 barely after the loss, uh, 24th in the power rankings. But, Stephen, they're down one with the basketball. And I want to say maybe 24 seconds left on the clock. So they run the clock down to three seconds before they got up a shot. I hated that strategy. The idea... Uh, should be to get up a shot quickly because you can't assume you're making the shot. If you do, you've got the 15th best defense in the country to try to stop Memphis. And if you miss the shot, you're sixth in college basketball and rebounds, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, I know why you're tempted, you know, to, to drain the clock so that you're, you're hoping that the other team doesn't have time to get off a shot. But yeah, I, I just, the, the Cougars, it, it's losses like these, I mean, the Cougars are still going to make the NCAA tournament. I, I don't think that's an issue, but, you know, the, it will keep them, though, from getting a higher seed. And just when you think that they're starting to turn a corner, they stub their toe. Uh, and, and a game like this, they definitely stub their toe. They definitely had a chance to win it, and they couldn't do it. So, you know, now you, you've got to start a little But, yeah, that, that has to be a bit of a questionable strategy, what you're talking about. You know, of their seven losses, five of them are one or two points. That's right. Check this out. Not one of their 21 wins have been by one possession. Not one. So they've got five losses by one or two points. Their closest win was four points. Yeah, it's either feast or famine, isn't it? You just kind of like, well, where are they going to have the middle ground? But you just have to hope they – I mean, they've they've traditionally bounced back from losses like this and uh, moved forward. So uh, this is one that they're going to have to move forward from again. Got to win the close ones in the tournament, too. I mean, well, that's right. That, I mean, that's the thing you have to worry about. You, you hope that these tough losses will teach them some lessons, because when you get in the NCAAs, you certainly can't make mistakes like that and expect to win. All right. One thing that happened this past weekend might have been under the radar for some of you, but uh, this past Saturday was the 40th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. And Stephen, it's, it's hard to comprehend, but it's been that long. I know it is. I mean, I'm dating myself here, but... I was a senior in high school when that took place, and uh, it, it just—it's it, one of those moments that, uh, again, you know, we're talking about it 40 years later, and to me, it's still as amazing as it was when it happened. And I know a lot of people that that may not have grown up with him, they might have thought, well, you know, if it if if it was a championship game like a finals per se, then maybe it was great. But it, even though it wasn't, it, it just. The whole idea, the U.S. was not supposed to win that game. I mean, the, the Russians, it would have been like, I don't know, the, the Patriots playing a, a college team or something. I mean, they were that dominant back then. And the U.S. team just wasn't. It was just one of those improbable wins that, that pushed the U.S. forward. And really, I, I think it, at least at that particular time, it put hockey on the map in the United States. I mean, hockey was... It was around, but it just it, it didn't have quite the popularity that it did when the U.S. team won that game, and it put Michael Ruzioni and uh, you know Herb Brooks and all those guys really on the map as far as recognizable names. Everybody suddenly knew who they were, and it really made advancements for the sport of hockey in this country. I was eleven, where I was eight years old, I should say, when it happened. So it's definitely a little melancholy to realize. You know, holy cow, you're you're 48 years old and you're yeah. just about the youngest person who would remember this moment. 
which is without question the most magical moment in sports history in the United States, uh, you know, in, in my mind. And for, forget the geopol- geopolitical stuff, because as a kid, you know, obviously I, I can't wrap my head around that. But all I knew was that we beat the most dominant hockey team ever assembled with a bunch of college players. I mean, they had a professional all-star team of veterans who'd lost one game in the last five Olympics and hadn't lost since 1968. And we just lost an exhibition to them two weeks earlier, 10 to three. And, you know, Stephen, the previous November Team USA lost a game to the Houston Apollos, you know, just in, in the city of Houston here. Right. Which was right. our local minor league team. Well, and I remember seeing the Russians come on a tour in the 70s back when the World Hockey Association was around and they played the Houston Arrows, which, you know, the, the Arrows kind of had a rebirth several times in Houston. But this this was in the 70s with the WHA. And, you know, the Arrows were a good team. I mean, they won the league championship two straight years. In fact, I think it was... I believe it was the year of their second championship and the Russians just steamrolled over them like they were a high school team. So that that just goes to show you how dominant they were back then. And as you said, you know, the, the U.S., they didn't have NHL players playing then in the All-Star game. It was a bunch of college players going up against a, a bunch of seasoned professionals. Yeah, and I'll say that again because I think I whizzed right by it. But like I said, they, they lost an exhibition two weeks earlier to the Soviet team, 10-3. to 10-3 is... In, hmm. in hockey terms, just a reminder, because I know I'm talking to a lot of Houston sports fans, maybe don't follow hockey as much, but just think of it like soccer, 10 to 3. It, it looked like the bad news bears out there. <laughs> really, Steve. Yeah, yeah. It'd be like 18 to 3 in baseball. I mean, just 10 to 3 in hockey, you know, especially then. And now today, the offense, is, there's a little more offense in hockey now than there used to be. I mean, back then, 10 to 3 in hockey, yeah, it had been like, I don't know, 20 to 3 in baseball or something. That. That's what I would compare it to because it was just unheard of. Before I get to a really cool story from an interview that we did a while back uh, regarding the game, a couple of fun facts uh, I found. First of all, team captain Mike Ruzioni, who of course had the game-winning goal, never played a hockey game after the Olympics. That's right, he sure did. And Ruzioni in Italian means eruption. Which Stephen is fitting because that's that's what he created all over the country. Yeah. Wow. That's that I didn't that I didn't know. The Foo Fighters' Dave Grohl was 11 years old at the time. He loved goalie Jim Craig so much that after the Miracle on Ice, he found the phone numbers of all the Jim Craigs in that area, phoned them up, and congratulated them. <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you got more, take more courage than I've got, that's for sure. And then the, the night before the game, Jim Craig was playing a game of Centipede, and I just read this, I couldn't believe this. He was playing a game of Centipede, which uh, for for you kids out there, it, it's, it's basically, you know, the Nintendo or Madden or whatever at the time. He was playing it at the Olympic Village with, with one of the Soviet players. Yeah, I think I do remember hearing that story, which is, is pretty intriguing. Last uh, one I've got for you is when Team USA left the locker room to face the Soviets, they passed hundreds of telegrams that had been pasted on the hallways from people across the country. One of them was from a woman from Texas and it simply read, beat those commie bastards. Ooh, all right. Well, there's some good bulletin board motivation for you. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh man, it just—I mean, there's just it's so many great stories out of it. We we have this uh, amazing one from the Houston Sports Talk Vault from five years ago, when an old-time Houston sports radio legend, John O'Reilly, had just passed away, and O'Reilly was somebody. He's somebody that I grew up listening to, and for those too young to remember, he spent nearly two decades in Houston at KTRH 7:40 a.m., KSEV 700 a.m., and KPRC 950. He had two stints on the Oilers radio team from '83 to '85, and from '89 to '91. The last three alongside Bum Phillips. And when John O'Reilly passed away on on Houston Sports Talk, I spoke with his colleague on 740, Tom Franklin. And here's the story Franklin tells from the Miracle on Ice. It's funny, and and I don't know that a whole lot of people know about it, but everybody remembers the Al Michaels statement, do you believe in miracles? Yes, at the end of the ballgame as time expired and the win over over the Russians. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. And what happened was is that John was working on the radio call for ABC at that particular point in time, and the booths were side-by-side with the TV booth, and they got to they got to a commercial break in the third period after Mike Arruzzioni had scored the go-ahead goal, and Mike leaned over to Al Michaels, and he had known Al from their, their dealings on the West Coast, uh, and he looked over at Al and he says, do you believe in miracles? And Al would in- eventually wound up incorporating that into the finish that everybody knows about, but John may have been the guy behind that. So John leaned over to him and said that, huh? Yeah, during a commercial break, leaned from one booth to the next one and, and, and said to Al Michaels, you know, after the U.S. had taken the lead in the third period, it's like, do you believe in miracles? Could this really happen? And Al became famous for it. Maybe it got it got in Al's head and he forgot about it because it, I always hear Al tell the story, the only thing I could think about at the end of the game was miraculous, and that came to my head, and that's why the, the, the call uh, happened. Well, you know, there, there was something there, but the, the, the way John recounted that story, and that was this was a long, this was a long time ago. We're talking, you know, 30 years ago now. After he first got there, the, the KTRA was one of the first stories he told me was that, you know, he said, "Yeah, I leaned over the booth and told Michael that, you know, midway through the third period after the U.S. took the lead, he said, do you believe in miracles?' And look what he did with it. I can't, you know, I, I wasn't there, so I don't know which guy is right, but 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 I'll take the word of John O'Reilly on this one because I've known him for so long and he wouldn't steer me wrong well who do you believe Stephen? Uh, you know it's interesting man you, you just sent chills up my spine just hearing that call again every time i hear it I, i've heard it you know probably a hundred times and it still gives me the shivers just in a good way well i think as we just heard nine times out of ten when these calls are made you know they aren't planned in advance i just don't think it's something you can really plan for but indirectly, you know, it obviously was planted in his head. Who's to say that he might not have it subconsciously? It just came out. But I don't know. Since I'm a Houston guy, I'd like to think that John O'Reilly had a hand in it. Wouldn't you? I don't know. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's, it's it's hard for me to believe that that Al's just kind of make because I've heard him tell this story a number of different times. But I don't. Why would John O'Reilly? Make this whole thing up. I mean, uh, if, if Tom trusts the guy and he worked with it, you know, he worked with John O'Reilly for years. Uh, I, I, you know, it, and you you talk about, you know, you, you still get 
the goosebumps. I, I still get, I mean, I get emotion. I mean, I'll listen to that call and it doesn't, you, you said no matter how many times you're right. I get choked up. I mean, there, I, I was watching the story about the miracle on ice. There's a, a great story. I think as HBO did it and I posted it up on Twitter and up on, on our Facebook page that, you know, the, the whole, you know, story about the miracle. And I was watching it again and again. I mean, I, I, I get emotional. I mean, and there's tears coming down my eyes and everything. Well, if you think about what was happening at the time, you know, the, the U.S., of course, that that was the year um, that they were boycotting. And then the, the Russians, you know, and, and four years later in Los Angeles, they boycotted. So it, it just it it's so many things were happening at the time, you know, what was going on. And I it just it, it brings together so many different things. It just makes it all the more, I guess, uh, you know inspiring, emotional, uh, and I'm not trying to get political, but I'm just saying, knowing what was going on at the time and just the, the odds against them doing this, that, that's really what it is for me. It, it comes back to what what were the chances of them winning this? A thousand to one? I mean, look, if somebody had placed a bet on that, how much money would they have, would have won on that game just, you know, if they had bet with the U.S.? Yeah, part of it, I'm sure for me, is there was an innocence about it because, like I said, I was eight years old. Part of it, I feel like there was just this, there's something about it that you just don't see today, which there was this lack of cynicism. And it was such this black and white thing. It was the good guys and the good hats and the bad guys and the, and the black hats and the whole, you had all, all of that stuff going on and you see it. And, you know, the the words you know, of a miracle. And, you know, it's, there's something about that in life. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story, Stephen, just to get a little personal uh, with this. And an uh, interesting story that happened to me is many years ago, I was about 26 years old. And I'm, you know, I'm, I've just fallen in love with this girl. The girl I fell in love with is Austrian girl. Just, I had fallen in love with her. And it was just super early in the relationship where maybe a couple of weeks into the relationship. And she looks over to me and she says, and, and, and this is like, I think we might've just, you know, or she might've just said that she'd loved me or something, you know, this was, it was, oh, I mean, this has never happened to me is very overwhelming. And she turned over to me and she goes, do you believe in miracles? Oh my goodness. (laughs) You know, I, I could not explain to her, you know, because she's of course not from the United States and she wasn't much of a sports fan. So she has no idea what that phrase means to me, but you know, I, I could tell her, you know, in fact, in fact, I do. (laughs) In fact, I do. (laughs) Let me play you the Al Michaels call. I'll show you. (laughs) Well, that's an interesting story, but that, that, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure we'd heard the term or the phrase before Al Michaels made that call. I, I, you know, but Boy, afterwards, every time I hear it, it's just what's the first thing you think of? It's Al Michaels. Yeah, and and again, you know, you just you want to go back to this these moments where you know we don't have much today, Stephen. That there's not this cynicism attached. Even as soon as a moment happens, it's like, well, but but what about this and what about that? And I mean, just we thought we had one of those moments a couple of years ago with the Astros, and it's just and and that's you know. That's all gone. That's all disappeared. So, you know, it, it it's so rare that, I mean, it just never happens like that. And it, you, you just knew something. And I, I, you know, I talk about it because I, I know that 
you know, it's getting further and further in the distance and there's people that just haven't, you know, didn't get to experience it. And, you know, maybe you saw the movie with Kurt Russell, which was really good. And and it got a lot of that stuff right, Stephen, but it's just, it's hard to get it all across. Yeah, it is. And, you know, this is so much bigger than a league championship where one U.S. team beats another. I mean, this is one country beating another. And as I said, back then, you know, the, the political climate, especially between the U.S. and the Soviets, was very tense. You know, the Cold War was still very deeply going on. It was, what, eight years later that we finally started to see some uh, breakthrough. But back then, it was still very intense. So it just meant so much more to us as a country than, say, a team winning the World Series or a football team winning the Super Bowl or something like that. Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid at that time, and you, and you remember this, Stephen, you had the Iranian hostage situation. That's right? right. It was going on around that same time as well. And yes. so the country was, you know, there was this constant dread as you turned on the TV every night and they, they had this story. It would, it would be on Nightline. Nightline was on, you know, I still, I might still be going on, I, I but I haven't watched Nightline in, in ages, but it, it was one of your news sources and it was on after the news every night on ABC and on Nightline every night they were going to talk about that Iranian hostage situation. And when those guys got out, the, the American hostages from Iran one of the guys told the story that they showed us the American, uh, I guess I don't know if it was the military or the government or whatever, they showed us a film of what had happened, you know, in the 14 months or whatever that they were in captivity. And that film concluded with the miracle on ice. And, you know, he said there was applause, you know, there was applause and it was just like, yeah. he, you know, he said, if I, of all the things you missed, you know, you, that was huge, but at the same time, he goes, it it gave us such, it it gave them such joy to see that. Well, I don't remember which month it was, Robert, but of course it 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 was the same year, around the same time, that the U.S. announced that they would be boycotting the Summer Olympics in Moscow in 1980. And of course, you have to remember back then the Winter and Summer Olympics took place in the same year. So uh, now again, I don't remember if it was before or after the miracle on ice, but it is still, there was a lot of controversy raging about that going on with the, the summer Olympics. And so just so many things added up and, and it just, it, it's like it, it was meant to happen for so many reasons other than just, you know, one hockey team facing off against another. And lost in all of that. And, and that, uh, when we remember back to those Olympics, was one of the most amazing things you'll, I mean, you'll never see this again. And it's Eric Hyden. Do you, do you remember much about the Eric Hyden story? Yeah, I, I do remember. I mean, I, I remember how you know great he was in winning the medal and everything, but I, I, the story is still kind of vague in my mind. You know, this guy, he's a speed skater, but he's, he wins a gold medal in five different speed skating events. Yeah, that's right. And that's it right. wasn't just like, oh, he won the, it was it wasn't a, like a bunch of oh he's doing all the fast races like you see in in track and field. He basically wins five gold medals from the shortest event, you know, he, to the to the longest event in speed skating. And he was a doctor. If you, <laughs> you don't know that's the guy, right, yeah, the guy was a doctor too. And and it, it would it would it was almost like the equivalent of you're you're, you're doing track and field, and he wins the hundred. 
he wins the 400, he wins the 800. And the mile. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and he yeah. wins the 10,000 meter. It was that ridiculous. Yeah, that that is pretty interesting how I, I just forgot. I'd honestly forgotten how many medals he won. I knew it was multiple amount, but that was yet another. I, I mean, the, the Winter Olympics in 1980, you have to say, was ours if you're the USA. Yeah, I think, I think he was an orthopedic surgeon or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's right. That was the other big story. And and really, it was that Olympics where, you know, for me, and, and I'm sure a lot of people, you you really, you almost fell in love with that event. And it was, it was eight years coming off of, you know, what had happened in Munich and the really sad and awful story that had happened there. And, 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 and to have this, it, it kind of reinvigorated people's love for the Olympics and how special it was with, between Eric Hyden and, and, and the Miracle on Ice. But I... I, I definitely wanted to talk about that. I, d- I don't want the 40th anniversary to to go without people kind of looking back and seeing what an amazing thing that was. Absolutely. And it's just, again, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, 100 years from now, people will still be referring to it. None of us will be alive, you know, or, you know, or maybe in the 100 year anniversary. It, it's still going to be something that will forever be in sports lore. Yeah. Great show. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Stephen. And just want to remind everybody that before we close it out, a uh, quick reminder that we're brought to you by Any Lab Test Now. They're the quick and easy way to get direct access lab testing when you're trying to manage your healthcare budget, which so many of us I know are having to deal with that. You've got 15 Houston area locations to choose from. So go check them out. The website, anylabtestnow.com. Don't forget, Throwback Thursday. Don't forget about that coming up in a couple of days. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.